Tonight's message is called Completely Forgiven. Tonight we'll look at some verses in the book of Colossians chapter 2, which I believe will warm the heart and soul of God's people. It is a most precious truth to know that all our sins are forgiven by the precious blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. And this can only be said of the born-again, blood-washed believer in Christ. Paul, in the book of Colossians, is combating the error of Gnosticism, which has sprung up in this church and in others, and he combats this error by bringing forth the supremacy of the Lord Jesus Christ. And in verse 10 of chapter 2, he writes this wonderful sentence by inspiration of the Holy Spirit of God. He pens to the believers at Coloss, and ye are complete in him, being Christ, which is the head of all principality and power. Love of God, what a wonderful truth is brought forth here before us. The believer in Christ is complete in him. In the Greek, it means to fill a vessel to full capacity, to supply abundantly, and to fill it to capacity that nothing can be added, nothing at all. Let's read the verse again in Colossians chapter 2, verse 10. And ye are complete in him, which is the head of all principality and power. Although we are still sinners while on this earth, and those who Paul wrote to were still sinners while they were on this earth, anyone else who says otherwise is just lying. This scripture declares that the believer in Christ is perfect in Christ. Now, again, we're sinners. We're saved sinners, we who are God's people. But our standing before God is perfect in Christ. Think upon this. He is perfect. And our being in him makes us perfect, even though we're still sinners here on this earth. This is not speaking of what we shall be, but of what we are right now in Christ. God sees us in Christ. He sees us in him. Paul's writing this to those believers who were at Colossus, and he writes them this comforting words. Ye are complete in him, not in ourselves. No, in ourselves we are so incomplete, aren't we? But in Christ we're complete because he was the perfect substitute. He died on Calvary's cross in our room and place. And oh, how, how men need to hear this and comprehend this. Oh, may God the Holy Spirit show a needy sinner their desperate need of Christ and then and give them the balm of Gilead, showing them that all their sins are forgiven and that they are complete in Christ. And we who believe, all oh, we need to hear this, don't we? And may let God the Holy Spirit illuminate this scripture for us and teach us the truth of this, that we're complete in Christ, the one who has all power, which is the head of all principality and power, it says. We're complete in him, in the one who has all principality and power. My, in him there's no charge. No obligation, no duty or service that can be demanded of us for the redemption of our eternal souls. There's nothing you or I can do, nothing you and I can do to merit salvation. But in Christ, we're complete. Everything that God has demanded for the salvation of our souls, beloved, is completed. That's the marvelous words when Christ cried, it is finished. The work of salvation for our eternal souls was finished. Scripture declares that he obtained eternal redemption for us. And there's not anything we can do or say for our redemption. Because the scripture here declares, and God's people reject that there's anything we can say or do, right? For our redemption. There's nothing we can say or do to make us acceptable before God in ourselves. But the scripture boldly here declares and wonderfully here declares that the believer is complete in Christ. Beloved, redemption is only in Christ and him alone. He alone is our righteousness. He alone clothes us in the perfect spotless righteousness, his own. Look at verses 20 to 22. And heaven made peace through the blood of his cross, by him to reconcile all things unto himself. By him I say, whether they be things in earth or things in heaven. And you, 
that were sometimes alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now hath he reconciled. He's writing to those who have been reconciled to Christ in the body of his flesh through death to present you holy and unblameable and unreprovable in his sight. So think of these poor religious people who are put under bondage by men of corrupt minds and are told what to do and what not to do and where to go and where not to go. They never have a minute's peace because they're always wondering if they've done enough. I, I was in that situation in religion. When was it enough? When would it be enough? Things that I've done, but oh, praise God. Praise God. He showed me that I'm complete in Christ. I was born again of the Holy Spirit of God and I quit doing I quit doing and now I rest in Christ alone because we are only complete in him. Is it so for you? Oh, I pray God will make it so. If you're laboring under religion, if you're laboring to make yourself better before God, if you're working under that yoke of bondage, oh, I pray God would set you free in Christ, that you'd be saved out of religion and that you'd see your desperate need for Christ and him alone and see that the believer's only complete in him and him alone. Look, verse 11, in Christ, we have the seal of the covenant upon our hearts. It says, in whom also ye are circumcised with the circumcision made without hands and putting off the body of the sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. Now, circumcision was instituted by God. It was a token of the covenant, the promise of God's blessings. It was a sign by which Israel was distinguished from other nations. It's a picture of spiritual regeneration by the Holy Spirit of God, which is the true circumcision of the heart, which is the putting off of the body and power of sin. Circumcision was necessary to eat of the Passover. And think of our Lord's words in light of this. Ye must be born again. A child was also named at circumcision. Beloved, circumcision of the heart gives us a new name, sons of God. All of this we have in Christ. Therefore, it's not necessary to circumcise the flesh. Now, look at verse 12. And we see that the believer, the believer in Christ has risen from the dead. It says, buried with him in baptism, wherein also ye have risen with him through the faith of the operation of God, which hath raised him from the dead. Marvel at this truth set here before us, beloved. We are not only circumcised in Christ in the heart, in the spiritual sense, having the token evidence and power of the covenant of grace, but all our sins are buried with Christ, of which our baptism in water is, is just a representation. Christ died for our sins and was buried. When he arose, all our sins were left behind, beloved, and we rose with him. All the elect of all the ages rose with him. And it is through faith that we see ourselves crucified and buried and risen with Christ. Now, it, it is not just any faith. But we see here, it's that which is of the God's operation, which is a gift from God. And in true saving faith is a gift from God. People, you ever hear people say, I, I got my faith or my faith saw me through. Well, faith in what? The object of faith must be declared. And if that faith is not exclusively in Christ, it's a false faith. If there is any faith, if your faith is Christ and you, it's a false faith. That's a false faith. No, it's Christ who got me through those things. It's the Lord who took me through those things. My faith has one object, and that's Christ. In Christ alone. True saving faith has one object. Christ Jesus, our Lord. We don't look at ourselves. We look at Christ. We don't put faith in our faith. We put faith in Christ, in him alone. So marvel at the next blessed benefit we have in Christ Jesus. Look at this in verse 13. The scriptures clearly declare that in Christ, 
Those who are complete in Christ are forgiven of all their sins. All of them. Colossians 2.13. And you, being dead in your sins, that was our natural state. In the uncircumcision of your flesh. Well, we were dead in trespasses and sins. Look at this. Hath he quickened together. That means you're born again by the Holy Spirit of God. With him. Having forgiven you what? Some trespasses? Just the past ones? Just the current ones? No, beloved. Marvel at this. Heaven forgiven you all trespasses. All of them. There's not one left behind, beloved. There's not one that's not paid for. Hallelujah. What a Savior is the Lord Jesus Christ. And God raised Christ from the dead. And God must raise us from the, from the dead. Oh, it says there, in the uncircumcision of your flesh. That's where we were dead in sins. In the uncircumcision of our flesh. We had a dead nature, beloved. We were dead in trespasses and sins. Ephesians chapter 2 verses 1 to 8 brings that forth so clearly. In forgiveness of sins, notice it's not done by piecemeal. It's not, well, you're forgiven of some sins, but not others. No, it says here it's done all at once. And it includes A-L-L, all sin, past, present, and hallelujah, all our future sins. Look at that. Listen to what 1 John 1 7 says it says but if we walk in the light as he is in the light we have fellowship one with another in the blood of jesus christ his son cleanses us from all all sin there it is again all sin beloved all sin and all trespasses when we savingly believe in the lord jesus christ when we're granted faith to believe on him we are at that moment united to christ all that christ did suffered or procured is our head whether in life death burial resurrection or exaltation is imputed to us by God. Even all these benefits we're looking at currently, they've all been given to us. They've all been given to us as if we had been personally present with Christ at those times and had done all of them ourselves. But we didn't. The great substitute did them. And listen to these marvelous words. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who had blessed us with all spiritual blessings. Again, A-L-L, all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ. That's your justification. That's your that's your sanctification. That's your forgiveness of all your sins. Oh my goodness, beloved. It just goes on and on and on. All spiritual blessings where? In heavenly places in Christ. Now there, right there is the key. In Christ. We are what? Complete in him. In Christ. And then Ephesians 2, 6 says, And hath raised us up together and made us to sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Again, in Christ Jesus. The question are, are you in Christ? You can't put yourself there. No, but I'll tell you what, if God shows you you're a sinner, and if he regenerates you by the power of the Holy Spirit of God, then you're say, like we who are believers, oh, hallelujah, we're in Christ. And then look at verse 14. Look at this. Look at this blessed benefit here before us. Bought forth before the believer in Christ, Jesus our Lord. Look at this blessed benefit. Blotting out. That means whitewashing. Blotting out. The handwriting of ordinances that was against us, which was contrary to us, and took it out of the way, nailing it to his cross. Now, when we think of these, these words here, when we look at these words, blotting out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us, that was contrary to us, think of this. Think of that handwriting on the wall against Belshazzar which proclaimed, Thou art weighed in the balances and found one. Well, that's, that's us too in our natural state. Weighed in the balances and found wanton. And this handwriting against us, spoken of in verse 14, is the whole ceremonial law of Moses, 
with its ordinances, commandments, and laws, plus the moral law. And there's not one person on this earth, not one son or daughter Adam, that could ever, ever fulfill that. Every human being on the top side of this earth is weighed and found one. This is our natural state when we're born and dead in trespasses and sins, weighed and found wanton. Listen to these verses, Romans chapter 3, verses 19 and 20. Now we know that what things soever the law saith, it saith to them who are under the law. Well, who's under the law? Every human being. Every human being. We come born into this world under the law. That every mouth may be stopped and all the world may become guilty before God. That's the state of man. That's the natural state of man. Whether you believe it or not, if you're not saved and whether you believe it or not, you are guilty before God. And it don't matter if you don't believe it, it's the truth. That's what the scripture declares. And then it says this. So some people try to justify themselves by the deeds of the law. In Romans 3.20, listen to these words. Therefore, by the deeds of the law, there shall no flesh be justified in his sight. For by the laws and all to sin. See, the law shows us that we're sinners. The law slays us, beloved. Now, there's only one person who completely fulfilled the law. And that was the seed of the woman. That's the Lord Jesus Christ, God incarnated in the flesh. Oh, he is perfect, sinless, spotless. And he was the substitute of his people. He fulfilled the law perfectly for his people. He went died on Calvary's cross as a perfect substitute for his people. So he was a perfect substitute in his life, and he was a perfect substitute in his death. And every son and daughter of Adam are sinners. Look at Romans chapter 3, verse 23 says, it says, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Well, well that ties right in with Romans 3, 19, which says, with the law, it said to them who are under the law, that's every every son and daughter of Adam, that every mouth may be stopped and, and all the world may become guilty before God. So all of sin, it says in Romans 3.23, and comes short of the glory of God. Beloved of God, none but Christ could put away this handwriting that was against us. None but Christ was able to satisfy what, what that law required. Listen to the words of Hebrews chapter 10, verse 9. Then said he, Lo, I come to do thy will, O God. He taketh away the first, that he may establish the second. This weekend, we're going to be looking at how, how Christ is the submissive servant. How he, he came to do the will of the Father. So marvel at this fact, that for the believer, Christ established our righteousness. It took his perfect life and his sacrificial death to do this. And that's why Paul penned by inspiration of the Holy Spirit of God, that you are complete in Christ. That's wonderful news. That's wonderful news to the believer in Christ. His was not only a perfect life, but a sacrificial death to satisfy the law. Therefore, the believer is complete in Christ and will not be found wanting at the judgment day because God, God has already poured out his wrath upon Christ as the substitute of his people. Look at the great victory that Christ has won in verse 15 of Colossians 2.15. And having spoiled principalities and powers, he made a show of them openly, triumphing over them in it. When a Roman emperor won a victory and conquered his foes, he rode through the streets in an open chariot. The captive kings and warriors, stripped of their armor and hands tied behind their backs and chains, went before him and were exposed to public shame and disgrace. And the emperor would come through with a laurel on his head and riding in a golden chariot. 
and the people would just rejoice over the great victory that he won. Well, we see, look at the great victory of Christ in verse 15, and having spoiled principalities and powers, he made a show of them openly, triumphing over them in it. Oh my, Christ has disarmed all the principalities and powers which were against us. Not only has he blotted out that handwriting of ordinances that was against us that said, you're weighed in the balances and found want. Not only has he whitewashed that and blotted that out, but he's disarmed all our enemies, beloved. All those powers that were against us. So let Paul's words in Romans 8.33 then warm the souls of we who believe. When Paul wrote this, who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? Well, if Christ conquered all our enemies... If he blotted out those ordinances against us that said we're, we're weighed in the balances and found wanton, and then again he conquered our enemies, who then shall lay any charge to God's elect? It's God that justifies. We are justified by God before God. Let that sink in. God himself has justified us because the Lord Jesus Christ is God incarnate in the flesh. And he justified us before the Father. And then look what Romans 8.34 says. Who is he that condemneth? It is Christ that died. He died in our place. Yea, rather that is risen again. Who is even at the right hand of the Father, who who also maketh intercession for us. Christ died for us in our place. And then he's risen again for our justification. And right now, the scripture declares here, Romans 8.34, that he's at the right hand of God, making intercession for us. <laughs> so, who, who shall lay any, anything to the charge of God's elect? Let man rail. Let man rail all they want. It's God who justifies we who are believers. Who is he that condemneth? Well, people can find a lot to condemn us for, couldn't they? But scripture here declares that God's people, they're justified by God. Christ died for us. He rose from the grave for us. And right now he intercedes for us. Who is he then that condemneth? Christ and Christ alone has defeated Satan, sin, hell, and death. And he has made a bold display and public example of them in his cross. Wonder of wonders, beloved of God. We are complete in Christ. It is he who truly has set the captive free. We were the ones who were captive to our sin. But rejoice, beloved of God. We are no longer in bondage to the law. We're no longer in bondage to ceremonies. We're, we're no longer under the curse of the law, because Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law. And look at, as a result of this blessed fact that we are complete in Christ, look at verse 16 now of Colossians chapter 2. Let no man therefore judge you in meat or in drink or in respect of an holy day or of a new moon or of the Sabbath days. Paul's saying here, let no man sit in judgment of you on matters of food and drink or with regards to ceremonies or feast days or Sabbaths. Listen to what Paul writes to Timothy. He writes this in 1 Timothy 4, 1-8. Now the Spirit speaketh expressly that in the latter times some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils. Well, that's works-based salvation, isn't it? Speaking lies and hypocrisy, having their conscience seared with a hot iron, forbidding to marry and commanding to abstain from meat. So look at that. Can't marry. Can't. You can't eat certain meats, which God hath created to be received with thanksgiving of them which believe and know the truth. For every creature of God is good, and nothing is to be refused if it be received with thanksgiving. So be thankful for all that you have. 
for it is sanctified by the word of God and prayer. If thou put the brother in remembrance of these things, thou shalt be a good minister of Jesus Christ, nourished up in the words of faith and of good doctrine, whereunto thou hast attained. But refuse profane and old wise fables, and exercise thyself rather unto godliness. For bodily exercise profit a little, but godliness is profitable unto all, having promise of the life that now is, and of that which is to come. Now Pharisees demand that we be just like them, don't they? And modern day Pharisees do the same thing. They're going about to establish their own righteousness. That's what the Pharisees of old did. They were going about to establish their own righteousness, and nothing's changed. There's still people who go about trying to establish their own righteousness. They have a list of do's and don'ts, don't they? Oh, there's nothing new under the sun, beloved. Religious men and women have not changed in over 2,000 years. Listen to this wonderful, wonderful verse in Galatians chapter 5, and Paul's writing to the Galatian church, and he's combating the Judaizers who are saying you must be circumcised to be saved. And listen to what Paul writes, these wonderful words. Galatians chapter 5, verse 1. Stand fast. That means to stand right where you are. Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty, the freedom, wherewith Christ hath made us free. And be not entangled again with the yoke of bondage. Don't be put back under that bondage of do's and don'ts. We are free in Christ, beloved. Now, the love of Christ constrains us from sin. We don't go out and go crazy. We don't want to do that because our love for Christ constrains us. The Holy Spirit restrains us too. Imagine imagine where we'd be even as believers if the Holy Spirit didn't restrain us. Oh my goodness. Oh my goodness. Because we're but saved sinners, aren't we? Praise God for the restraining grace of God. In Paul, look at verse 17. Paul brings forth in verse 17 that the Old Old Testament ceremonies, circumcision and feast days and sacrifices were but shadows or symbols of Christ in his redemptive work. Look at verse 17, which are a shadow of things to come, but the body is of Christ. Oh, they were in effect only until he came. He is the truth, the body and the substance of all these. To continue in those sacrifices is to say that that Christ the fulfillment has not come. Listen to Hebrews chapter 10, verses 1 to 7. For the law, having a shadow of good things to come, and not the very image of the things, can never with these sacrifices, which are offered year by year, continually make the comers thereunto perfect. For then would they not have ceased to be offered, because that the worshippers, once purged, should have no more conscience of sins? But in those sacrifices, there is a remembrance again made of sins every year. For it is not possible that the blood of bulls and of goats should take away sins. Wherefore, when he cometh into the world, that's Christ, he saith, Sacrifice and offering, thou wouldest not. But a body hast thou prepared me. In burnt offerings and sacrifice for sin, thou hast no pleasure. Then said I, Lo, I come, in the volume of the book it is written of me, to do thy will, O God. So all those Old Testament sacrifices were but shadows and pictures of the true Lamb of God who would come into this world and save his people from their sins by the sacrifice of himself, by the shedding of his own precious blood. And then verse 18 brings forth that we are not to let people beguile us of Christ, who is the believer's reward. Look at Colossians chapter 2, verse 18. Let no man beguile you of your reward in voluntary humility and worshiping of angels, intruding into those things which 
he hath not seen, vainly puffed up by his fleshy mind. Our reward, our prize, is to win Christ, beloved, and be found in him, to know him in the power of his resurrected life. Paul wrote of this in Philippians chapter 3, verses 8 to 14. He says, Yea, doubtless, and I count all things, but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and do count them but dung, that I may win Christ, and be found in him, not having mine own righteousness. Oh, there, complete in Christ, which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith. Look at that. See, the righteousness of God is revealed in the gospel, in that being Christ. He is the righteousness of God. He's the Lord, our righteousness, beloved. And then Paul continues, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings, being made conformable unto his death. If by any means I might attain unto the resurrection of the dead, not as though I had already attained, either were already perfect, but I follow after it, that I may apprehend that for which also I am apprehended of Christ Jesus. Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before. I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Beloved of God, don't let anyone turn you away from, from Christ. Don't let anyone turn you away from him by insisting on false humility or self-abasement or worshiping of angels and dead saints, teaching what's not in God's word, but only what's in their imaginations, what's they cooked up. All false, unscriptural philosophies are products of the flesh, beloved. And you know what they do? They all lead away from Christ. And they're usually, the men and women who are promoting those things are vainly puffed up. I'll tell you this, you find a whisperer and a backbiter and you find a vainly puffed up man or woman, no matter what they say, no matter what they profess. If they're a whisperer and a backbiter, you found a vainly puffed up man. Now look at verse 19. It says, and not holding the head from which all the body by joints and bonds having nourishment ministered and knit together increases with the mercy of God. These false teachers and backbiters, whisperers, they bring reproach upon Christ, who is only head of the church. They make angels or the virgin or other saints to be employed with him as mediators with the Father. Oh, the scripture plainly declares there's only one mediator between God and man, and that's the man Christ Jesus. Therefore, all those other mediators are false. Scripture declares this, for there is one God, one, one true and living God, and listen to this, and one mediator between God and man, one high priest, beloved, and that's the Lord Jesus Christ. Oh, I remember someone showing me this verse when I was in Catholicism, and this shook the foundation of the refuge of lies that I had, because he said, why do you go to a man as a mediator between God and you? Well, there's only one man. That's the man Christ Jesus, and this, these two verses here, 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 5 and 6, that refuge of lies I was trusting in in Catholicism, oh, it just started crumbling. It just started crumbling. Listen to this. First Timothy chapter 2, verses 5 and 6. For there is one God. There's one true and living God. And one mediator between God and man. There's only one. And the scripture goes on to say the man Christ Jesus. He's the only mediator. He's the only one we go to. He's the only one we pray to. Who gave himself a ransom for all. He gave himself a ransom for all his people to be testified in due time. And we we testify of him. We testify of the wonderful works that the Lord Jesus Christ has done for us. 
Oh, beloved of God, Christ is the only head. He's the Lord, the King, and the life giver. And the whole body of Christ is knit together in him. We are complete in him. And we receive our life, our nourishment, our growth, and our grace only from him. The more we draw from Christ and the more we grow and increase spiritually, the more we'll realize how much mercy God has had upon us. And we'll love the brethren and we'll be knit together in love and unity with them. Now think of this, Pharisees divide, Pharisees divide. Oh, the Pharisees will get in there and I don't care if it's modern religious Pharisees, they'll get in there and they're, they'll say this is wrong and that's wrong and they'll find all kinds of fault. But lovers of Christ are united, beloved. They are united together in Christ. Let's read verse 20 now. Colossians 2 verse 20, it says, Wherefore, if ye be dead with Christ from the rudiments of the world, why, as though living in the world, are ye subject to ordinances? If we died with Christ by virtue of our union with Christ, if we were buried and rose with him, and in him have justification, pardon, redemption, and sanctification, if in Christ all the ordinances, ceremonies, and types were fulfilled, and we are free from those requirements, if in Christ we are redeemed from the curse and condemnation of the law, why would we want to return to those types and shadows? Why would we want to go back to the law? Paul wrote this in Galatians chapter 4, verse 21. Tell me, ye that desire to be under the law, do ye not hear the law? And then in Galatians 3, 10, he said, For as many as are of the works of the law are under the curse. For it is written, Cursed is everyone that continueth not in all things which are written in the book of the law to do them. You want to be under the law? Then you're under the curse of the law. You have to fulfill that law, every jot and tizzle. And I'll tell you what, there's not one human being who can do that. There's only one. There's only one, the God-man, who did that as a substitute of his people. And now look at verses 21 and 22. It says, Touch not, taste not, handle not, which are all to perish with the using after the commandments and doctrines of man. Touch not, taste not, handle not. This includes meats, unclean things, and other forbidden Things by religious rules. These things are of service and reference only to the body. We see that. Which are to perish with the using, it says in verse 23. They can be of no value to the soul. They are perishing materials and cease to be when they, when they are not used. The using of them cannot defile and cannot sanctify or commend us to God. Look what it says again. Touch not, taste not, handle not, which are all to perish with the using. All these religious fairs, they got all these touch not, taste not, handle not, which are all to perish with the using after the commandments and doctrine of men. See, these Pharisees, they like to have all kinds of rules. They like to tell you how to live your life. I'm free in Christ. I'm to stand fast in the liberty wherewith Christ hath made me free. I said to my wife this morning while we were having breakfast, I said, we're so free in Christ. Praise God, we're so free in Christ. So submission to these ordinances by a believer is not commanded by God, but by false teachers. We are to obey God's law, but not man's law. Oh, indifferent things are a man's own business. First Peter 4.15, But let none of you suffer as a murderer, or as a thief, or as an evildoer, or as a busybody in other man's matters. Now let's close with verse 23 of this portion of Scripture. It says, in Colossians chapter 2, verse 23, which things have indeed a show of wisdom and will, worship and humility in neglecting the body, not in any honor to the satisfying of the flesh. All these religious rules, ceremonies, and fleshy practices give an outward appearance of devotion, humility, and consecration. See, a, a man, a pharisaical man, they can fool most people. 
They can they have this outward appearance of devotion and humility and consecration. Oh, you look at them and you think, oh my, yeah, look at them guys. They're they're so dedicated. And all error has something to say in its defense. Men like to serve God with their own inventions. They like to appear to be pious and humble. So they promote self-imposed laws. You have to do this. Oh, this person's not doing that. In discipline, they promote self-imposed laws and discipline and punishment to the body. But these are of no value in checking the flesh or sanctifying the heart. They're still sinners. They're still sinners. They put on this show. And they have this outward appearance of devotion and humility. See, they clean the outside of the platter. But inside, oh, the raven wolves, beloved. And they do not honor God. They only indulge the flesh in its false concepts of righteousness. Listen to this in Romans chapter 10, verses 1 to 4. Brother, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved. For I bear the record that they have a zeal of God, but not according to knowledge. Well, they, they have a zeal of God, but it's not to knowledge. They don't know the true and living God. Look what it says in Romans 10, verse 3. For they being ignorant of God's righteousness. Who's God's righteousness? Well, that's the Lord Jesus Christ. And going about to establish their own righteousness have not submitted themselves unto the righteousness of God. They've not submitted themselves to Christ, beloved. Because remember the gospel, and the gospel therein is the righteousness of God revealed. And that's the Lord Jesus Christ, the one who fulfilled the law in, in the place of his people, the one in whom God's people are complete in. And then look at Romans chapter 10, verse 4. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone that believeth. Here's the question. Do you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ? Do you believe on the complete, finished, sin-atoning work of the Lord Jesus Christ? That he alone, that he alone established the righteousness that would make sinners like you and I fit to be in the presence of God. Are you trusting in him alone for your eternal soul? Oh, I pray God would make it soul if you're not. I pray he'd make it so. And then marvel in, in this, you who are the born-again, blood-washed people of God. Christ Jesus, our Lord, has purchased us with his own precious blood. And Christ is our law. And we are complete in him. Complete. If we truly know him, love is our rule. And let we who are the purchased people rejoice in the truths that we've looked at tonight. And let us rejoice in this blessed, blessed fact that we are complete in Christ. Amen and amen.